Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, where we get you smarter about the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Bridge Bank. Be bold. Venture wisely. I'm Dan Primack. On today's show, putting Uber into context and why coffee is no longer essential. But first, conservatives versus social media. So Senate Republicans yesterday held a subcommittee meeting hearing titled Stifling Free Speech, Technological Censorship, and the Public Discourse. It was basically a chance to grill Facebook and Twitter executives over perceived political bias on their platforms, which Republicans and others on the right regularly complain about. So a few things to know. First, only Twitter and Facebook set representatives. Google didn't. Second, Senate Democrats objected to the purpose of the hearing. Third, there is not yet any statistical evidence that Twitter or Facebook's moderation, which is primarily done by algorithm, disproportionately affects Republicans or Republican office holders. Fourth, it's nonetheless still an article of faith on the right that left-leaning Silicon Valley is putting its finger on the scale, and there is a series of anecdotal examples that they believe support that claim. The bottom line, big tech is under fire from both sides of the political aisle, and hearings like yesterday may be a predicate to stronger regulation. In 20 seconds, we'll go deeper with Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, who chaired yesterday's hearing. But first, this. BridgeBank believes in the risk takers, the game changers, and the disruptors, those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. That's why BridgeBank has been dedicated to providing financial solutions to sponsor-backed emerging technology and growth companies for nearly two decades through its national network of banking teams and offices. BridgeBank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. We're joined now by Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, who yesterday chaired a hearing on alleged censorship of conservative voices on social media. So, Senator Cruz, yesterday in your open, you noted that argument by anecdote is less satisfying. So with that in mind, what evidence have you uncovered or have you learned that tech platforms like Twitter and Facebook are singling out conservatives for censorship on their platforms? Yesterday in the hearing, we heard considerable testimony about direct political bias. We heard, for example, from Senator Marsha Blackburn, who in her Senate announcement video, Twitter blocked her video, the video literally announcing her campaign for Senate. I asked both Twitter and Facebook, have you ever blocked a post from a Democratic candidate for office? Neither one could point to even a single example. Likewise, we heard testimony from the movie makers behind the movie Unplanned, an incredible true story of Abby Johnson, a former clinic director for the Planned Parenthood Clinic in Bryan College Station, who after eight years working at Planned Parenthood, becoming Planned Parenthood Employee of the Year, she became so horrified by what she saw that she left and became a pro-life activist. When Unplanned launched, virtually every TV network refused to carry their trailer. Google refused to let them buy ads and advertise on Google, and Twitter took down their page on opening weekend. Abby Johnson herself was not able to follow the page of Unplanned. The actress who played Abby Johnson was not able to follow the page of Unplanned. But those are both anecdotes, correct? And on the former, the company Facebook apologized to Senator Blackburn. And on the latter, they said it was because the person who had created that Twitter account had been previously blocked and the block only lasted for an hour. I guess my question is, those are anecdotes. You're right. Have you found anything systemic within the algorithm? I asked Twitter and Facebook in the year 2018, how many posts from elected office holders did you block? Now, that's presumably a, a finite universe. They refuse to answer. They may answer in writing. I'm going to follow up and ask, answer them in writing. And let's suppose we have a universe of 10 or 100 or 1,000. I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. The natural follow-up question would then be, what's the partisan breakdown? Now, if they could come back and the partisan breakdown was roughly even, that would actually go a significant step towards exonerating them. 
But we don't know that. On the other hand, if, if, if they blocked a thousand tweets from office holders in 2018 and 98% of them were right of center, I suspect you and, and almost any reasonable observer would say, look, that, that's pretty damning if you're consistently blocking those on the right. We don't have those data. So far, big tech has refused to give those data. And so all we're left with is anecdote, and, but these anecdotes are piling up over and over and over again. It is a consistent pattern, and that's very troubling. You talked also in the beginning, you talked a lot about something, Section 230, the Communications Decency Act, and you talk about how it basically requires, it was a deal basically with tech companies, big tech companies, that they would provide, quote-unquote, a neutral platform. For you, I wonder, there's kind of this libertarian argument that any sort of moderation at all violates neutrality. So how, where do you draw that line? Because, for example, I think you would agree, you know, for example, pull down videos of the New Zealand shooting is something these networks should do and tried to do. But at the same time, there's an argument that's not neutral anymore. Let's step back for a second. I'll answer your question, but let me give it a bit more context first, which is the purpose of the hearing yesterday was twofold. Number one, to understand the scope of the problem. But number two, to begin thinking about remedies. And remedies is a complicated question. That is not easy to answer because nobody wants to see the government regulating speech. Nobody wants to see a speech board of the federal government. That would be a disaster. So the remedies that we can consider, the first and most obvious is the one you just mentioned, Dan, which is that big tech enjoys a special immunity from liability. It was created by Congress in Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. The predicate for that, the reason that Congress granted that, was on the understanding that the big tech companies would be neutral public forums. In other words, that it wouldn't be them speaking. It would be you or me or whoever's posting on the, on the site speaking. So it wasn't fair to hold them liable for what was being said. Well, what has happened is the big tech companies have made a decision. They don't want to be neutral public forums. Indeed, I put up a quote from Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter, who explicitly said, we shouldn't be neutral anymore. Well, he was saying that, though, in terms of things like hate speech, correct? Oh, but all sorts of other things. Mother Teresa is not hate speech, and yet Twitter blocked Mother Teresa. As Mark Zuckerberg testified in the Senate, Silicon Valley is an extremely left-leaning place. And so they have decided that they're not going to be neutral, and instead they're going to push their political partisan. Well, actually, wait, when you say that, though, I thought you said earlier we don't actually have proof of that yet. You suspect it, but you don't have proof of that yet. To be honest, the pattern we're seeing, we actually do have proof of that. We heard testimony about that. But that was anecdotal testimony. The representative from Twitter made a comment. He said that given the number of posts, you can get one in a million 500 times a day on Twitter, which is just a, you know, a math equation. He's right about that. If you could get one in a million, show me the tweet from Planned Parenthood that was blocked. I asked him that. He couldn't point to a single instance. By the way, Maisie Hirano, the, the ranking Democrat, she said, oh, there are lots of instances on the other side. Really, show me one. I don't see any anecdotes on the other side. When all of the anecdotes are consistently and systematically focused on silencing voices on the right. And not only that, I mean, let's take this week. So Google, recognizing that they had a real problem here, they appointed an advisory committee to help them think through political bias and censorship. One of the people that they appointed to that advisory committee was Kay Coles James. Kay Coles James is the president of the Heritage Foundation. Over 2,500 Google employees protested that Kay Coles James was included on that committee, and they said her views are not acceptable and do not deserve to be considered. Now, now, let me tell you, that is a radical view. But there's no indication that that affects the Google search algorithm. The fact that those employees object to that person being on that committee doesn't reflect necessarily that that has any impact on my searches. 
anyone who says the president of the Heritage Foundation, by any measure, one of the most respected think tanks in the country, whether you agree with what they say or not, Kay Coles James is a 69-year-old African-American woman who helped desegregate all white schools in Richmond, Virginia, for them to say, your views are illegitimate and shouldn't be heard. Look, these are the same people that are writing the algorithms that are producing search results. So yes, that demonstrates overwhelming political bias, and we see it in the output as well. You retweeted a couple of weeks ago when Senator Elizabeth Warren came out yeah. with her, basically her plan to break up some big tech companies, including Facebook and Amazon. You retweeted it. And you yesterday also talked about how the, some of the giant tech companies today are larger, more powerful than Standard Oil or AT&T when they were broken up. So should Google, Facebook, Amazon, should they be broken up? And if so, how? Look, I, I think that is a very serious issue and needs to be discussed further. It's fairly limited, but do you agree with Senator Warren's proposal? In other words, if that came as a bill, would you vote for it? So what Elizabeth Warren tweeted was the following. Curious why I think Facebook has too much power. Let's start with their ability to shut down a debate over whether Facebook has too much power. Thanks for restoring my post, but I want a social media marketplace that isn't dominated by a single censor. And the hashtag was break up big tech. Well, so that would be your example of a Democrat who got something pulled, correct? It is. There are not many. And in fact, when that happened, I retweeted it and said, first time I've ever retweeted Elizabeth Warren, but she's right. Big tech has way too much power to silence free speech. They shouldn't be censoring Warren or anybody else. A serious threat to our democracy. And in that instance, by the way, yes, they're politically biased. But what Elizabeth Warren was advertising was break up big tech. So, yes, they show that they're willing to censor a direct attack on them as well as any politics they disagree with. Senator Cruz, you've been a good sport. Thank you for coming on. One final question I need to ask you, because it, it is all over Twitter and all over Facebook. You posted a selfie uh, right before the Texas Tech-Virginia game. Do you accept blame for Texas Tech losing to Virginia the other night? Well, I'm curious if all the knuckleheads on Twitter are ready to give me credit for the next time Texas wins the national championship, because we've won a whole bunch of national championships. I've been there to cheer them on. So if you want to blame me when we lose, I, I want to see those same voices saying the reason we won is Cruz was there cheering them on. Fair enough. Senator Cruz, thank you so much for joining us. My final two right after this. With offices in tech hubs throughout the country, including San Francisco, Boston, Atlanta, and now Seattle, BridgeBank continues to meet the innovation ecosystem wherever it thrives. And through its teams focused on technology and life sciences companies and the equity investors who fuel them, BridgeBank delivers a responsive, high-touch client experience. BridgeBank is a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Now it's time for my final two, and first up is the Uber IPO. The ride-hail giant today is expected to file its so-called S-1 document with the Securities and Exchange Commission, which, as we noted yesterday, will include all sorts of detailed financial and material business information, basically a treasure trove for those of us who follow the company, but sometimes struggle to get under the hood without being spun. Still, though, we gotta wait a couple more weeks to learn exactly how many shares Uber plans to offer and at what price, which would lead us to its anticipated valuation. Word right now is that the company hopes to be worth between 90 and 100 billion dollars, either of which would easily be more than any other US-based tech startup at the time of IPO. 
More importantly, $100 billion would also make Uber the 30th most valuable company traded on a U.S. exchange, 30th overall, even larger than the Wall Street banks leading its IPO. Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. And finally, Switzerland is preparing to give up its emergency stockpile of coffee, which is apparently a little bit like our national oil reserve. You know, except for coffee. Apparently, the Nordic nation began hoarding coffee during the world wars as its caffeine-craving citizens average consumption of around 20 pounds annually. But now they've realized in the official bureaucratic language, quote, coffee has almost no calories and subsequently does not contribute from the physiological perspective to safeguarding nutrition, end quote. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producer, Tim Shovers, have a great national eight-track tape day. And we'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata podcast.